You know, Jesus is so central to our faith. Jesus is so important. Without Jesus, there is nothing. So I thought it would be good to take a few weeks to look at some of the things that Jesus said. And a couple of weeks ago, there were some things that were really quite surprising that Jesus said. Because we like we like the nice, soft stuff, don't we, that Jesus said. And we, we found some, some tough things. But we're going to look at some things, something else today that Jesus said. And I'm going to give you a clue. There's been a bit of a thing about bringing uh, props. If you were with us yesterday at our celebration service, um, Phil bought a prop, and when Mark spoke a few weeks ago, he had props, and I thought, I need props. Now, I'll be honest, the props I've bought is going to make it look like I'm bragging. Sorry. <laughs> but this is one of my props, which I was going to put on because I Finished. Finisher. Finisher. Yes. Ah. So I had that t-shirt given to me. I was standing in the mouth opposite Buckingham Palace and I was given that t-shirt and I was also given a medal. Oh. Oh no, for a good name. Because I finished. <laughs> He'd been 
cross through the streets. You know, when they made these ancient crosses, they didn't go to P&Q and get the softest, smoothest wood. This was rough. He's been literally nailed to it by his hands and feet, and then the cross dropped into the ground. And when that happens, the only way to breathe is to push against your feet that have been nailed to the Terrible, terrible way to die. And the time comes, Jesus knows it's all over. The moment of death has come, and he releases his spirit. Surely Jesus' words, it is finished, were words of relief. Oh, it's over. The agony has ended. I'm finished with this body of pain and anguish. Was that what he meant when he said, it is finished? The problem we sometimes have is that the Bible wasn't written in English. When I was a kid, my dad was one for the King James Version. It was the King James or nothing. And it was almost as if the King James Version was the version that the Apostle Paul used, <laughs> or that even Jesus might have had in his back pocket, which of course isn't true. The original language of the Bible is not English. So sometimes we have to go back and we have to look, what did this word really mean? And when Jesus said it is finished, the actual word is tetelestai, which I've been practicing all week. I mean, that may not be the right pronunciation, but I don't know. What does that mean? It does mean it is finished, but it doesn't mean I'm glad that's all over and thank the Lord I survived. Tetelestai is not a negative expression. It means I have completed what I set out to do. It's words that I could have used at the end of the marathon. I've completed what I set out to do. Because it wasn't just about that day, it was about all the other days beforehand, going out running on your own in the cold and horrible. I finished, what I, I mean, there was also a sense of, thank God, that's so obvious. But, um, but that was just me. But you know, when Jesus said it, he means I've completed what I set out to do. Not thank the Lord it's over, but I have finished what I came to do. But you know, Tetelestai goes deeper than that because it's in the perfect tense. And you might think, the what? So I don't have any English lesson, that's beyond my capabilities. But we understand the past tense, don't we? Yeah. Yesterday we had a celebration service. This morning I got out of bed. It happened in the past. The marathon happened in the past. The dim and distant past. We understand the past. We understand the present. You are here listening to me spouting for a few minutes. Let's not commit to how long. That's the present. We're here right now. It's happening. Future. I'm really hoping that later on this afternoon I'm going to sit down with my family and have a nice roast dinner. That's what I'm hoping for, but it's happening in the future. But Tetelestai is wraps all of those tenses together. And what it's saying is, Jesus died in the past, but what he did was relevant in the past, but it's also relevant in the present and will be relevant in the future. It wraps it all together, it, it brings it all into one. Past, present and future, same yesterday, today and forever. And what Jesus did on the cross worked then, works now and will work tomorrow and onwards. What Jesus set out to do is effective for all time. When Jesus said it is finished, it's not a cry of defeat. It's an expression of the culmination.
culmination of what he'd set out to do. So what did Jesus achieve? To find out, we have to go right back to the beginning of human existence, when a couple created by God, living a perfect life, walked with God, in relationship with each other and with their Creator. They lived this perfect life. They didn't really know that it was perfect because they didn't know what imperfect would have looked like. They just knew what was. And they were given access to almost everything in the garden, everything except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They didn't know what good was, but they didn't know what evil was. We only understand one in comparison to the other, don't we? They had no understanding what pain was, or hurt, or stress, or shame, or fear, or anxiety. They were never ill. It was just peace, freedom, and wholeness. But of course we know they couldn't resist the temptation to find out about this knowledge of good and evil. They were tempted. Did God really say, don't do that? So they gave in, and into the world in that moment came sin and sickness and fear and anxiety, all the things we struggle with today. The first thing they noticed after this happened, can you imagine, they start experiencing emotions that they've never experienced before. And they're not nice. They're not nice feelings. And they noticed they've got nothing on. They were naked. It never bothered them before, but somehow now it bothered them. And so they grabbed some leaves and they covered themselves. And when God comes looking for them, he has a problem. You see, God is completely holy. God cannot tolerate sin. Mankind began from a point of being unaware of good and evil. They had nothing to compare it with. God came from a perspective of knowing and knowing that he could not accept or tolerate it. He didn't want that stuff in the world he created. You see, sin is serious. We can sometimes think, oh, well, it's only a little sin. <clears throat> only a little bit, well, it's okay. But sin is serious. And what we call the small stuff and the big stuff. God banishes the man and the woman from the garden, but before he does, he clothes them. But he doesn't clothe them in leaves. He clothes them in animal skin. And this is telling us something. You see, if we're going to cover sin and shame, if we're going to deal with it, it's costly. And in that case, it cost the animal that provided the skin covering its life. And in Hebrews 9.22, it says, The law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Without blood being shed, there's no forgiveness of sin. That's how serious sin is. Time moves on, and God begins to hint, if you read the Old Testament, of a future solution. In Genesis 22, we read the account of a man called Abraham, and it was promised to Abraham to be the father of nations. But Abraham only had one child in relation to that promise, a son called Isaac. His son had been born to him when he was old, and God tells him, go and sacrifice your son. This seems a really, really strange thing to do. Why would God do that? Firstly, this was the son promised to Abraham as the first in line for this king's nation. If Isaac dies, what happens to that promise? And secondly, why would a good God ask someone to sacrifice a child? It's horrible. It's hideous. But you see, in the culture that Abraham was part of, child sacrifice was not so unusual. People thought that the gods were 
animal beings that needed to be appeased. And they thought that the offering of children to the gods was a way to please him. This was the kind of messed up society that Abraham was part of, and this was what the world was coming to. But you know, in obedience to God, Abraham takes Isaac up the mountain, and before he leaves his servant, he says something strange in the circumstances. He said to his servant, stay here with your donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, then we will come back to you. So even though Abraham believed God wanted him to sacrifice Isaac, he's so confident in God's future promise that he declares that both he and Isaac will be returning from the mountain. Abraham prepares the sacrifice, but before he lays a hand to Isaac, God's angel speaks to him and says, don't lay a hand to Isaac. He's completed the test of faith, and right there in the bushes is a ram caught by the horns, a sacrifice provided by God, a hint of what was to come. And as time again moves on, the children of Israel are stuck in the land of Egypt and living as slaves. And without going into all of those details, God brings about plagues on the Egyptians to try and get Pharaoh to release the Israelites to leave. And every time Pharaoh won't let the people go and the final plague to be released will be the death of the firstborn children across the nation. And to ensure that the Israelites don't lose their firstborn children, they're instructed to take a perfect lamb or goat, slaughter the animal, put some of the blood on the top and side of the doorposts, and that would be a sign of the covering of that family. And as the angel of death passed over, their firstborn would be safe. It's all quite difficult, isn't it, when we live in the 21st century and everything's all sanitised, you know, and you have to read this in the context of where it was, but the point was, sin was serious. These animals died, and the blood provided the covering for the sin before God. And that feast became known as the Passover, and it's still celebrated by Jews today. And God shows us through history the necessity of blood to cover sin, because sin is serious. And I'm going to read some verses from Isaiah 53, many of you will know these, but these were written hundreds of years before Jesus, but they talk about the coming of the Saviour. It says, Who's believed our message? And to whom is the arm of the Lord being revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquity, the punishment of God's peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray, each has turned to our own way, but the Lord has laid on him the sin of us all. This is just one many times in the Old Testament that God begins to explain a change is coming, a once and for all time answer to the problems of humankind. 
The passage describes well a man who was rejected, punished, not because he'd done anything wrong, but because God laid on him the sin of the world. That's your sin and mine. Jesus, who was God in human form, perfect in every way, is to give himself over to pain and suffering and death. So he can once and for all time pay the debt that we could not and rid us of the impact of shame and guilt. He was wounded so that we can be healed. And in the fullness of time, centuries later, God in human form called Jesus came to earth to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah had spoken. And at the end of the crucifixion, Jesus said, It is finished. Tetelestrian breathes his last and dies. And in Mark 15, 38, it says the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So the temple had a curtain. This wasn't just a curtain that you could go to Donnell and buy. And if you've done that, I've done that recently, gone to Donnell and tried to work out curtain sizes. Nightmare, I don't understand it at all. But you can go to Donnell and you buy these thin little curtains and you hang them on your rail. This was a massive thing. It was feet thick and it was important that it was big and huge because it protected the area of the temple where God's presence dwelt. Remember we said God is holy. Human beings could not stand in his presence or they would die. The high priest entered only on occasion after many, many rituals and even then when he went in they tied a rope around his ankle. So that if he should die in the presence of a holy God, they would be able to pull him out. That's scary stuff, isn't it? But on the death of Jesus, this thick curtain is torn into two on top of it. What's it saying? It's saying God's presence now dwells with mankind. Jesus is paying the price. Now when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. He sees perfection. The blood that Jesus shed has cleansed us. And now we can come into his presence without fear and without shame. I think that comes on us a little bit more than you. Because you're going to require We can come into his presence. Just think about that again. Imagine the presence of God is all up on this big, thick curtain, and the priest goes in in fear and trepidation, I've not done enough, and just in case you can pull me out by the ankle. Now we can come freely. Let's not that doesn't lessen the seriousness of sin, but it increases what Jesus did. It shows us how great it is. You know Romans 3, 23 to 25 says, For all, that's everybody, has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. We need to receive that gift by faith. We need to appropriate that gift into our hearts and minds so that we can come because of God's grace. We don't deserve it, but we are made justified just as if we've never sinned. We can approach a holy God without fear, not because we've made ourselves good enough, 
Well, because actually we're a reasonable people of person and we know we're pretty good. But because our rightness comes through Jesus. And this is not just something that was okay in the past. But something that's effective today in 2023. And something that will be effective in the future. So what difference does this make to us? You know... I was walking through a town centre this week and I bumped into one of our neighbours and we had a little chat, as you do, and he asked me how our dog was because I don't know very well so I was telling him about it and he told me about his dog. And he said, you know what, he said dogs are better than human beings. He said, human beings was Mother Nature's biggest mistake. And you know, I wanted to kick myself after because after I'm like, I should have said something different. I said to him, no, no, Alex, that's not true. I did say that. <laughs> but I was in the conversation and I was like, after, you know, after you did, oh, Because you know what? Human beings are not Mother Nature's biggest mistake. No. Human beings are the pinnacle of God's creation. <laughs> the problem is that we don't follow the, the blueprint of the for the Lord has made on him the sin of the soul. The deepest cry of the human heart is for relationship with God, whether people know or accept that or not. And that relationship comes through connection with him through the sacrifice of Jesus. We need to acknowledge that, repent, and follow him. Most of us, I'm sure, already do follow Jesus. Are we building on that relationship? Are we seeking him? Are we spending time with him? Or are we just ticking off the Sunday service? You know, there may be someone here today and they might well actually not follow Jesus. And I really want to say to you, you know, from the bottom of my heart, if you're not following Jesus today, you've got a problem. Because you have sinned. You may be a really nice person, but we've all done it. We've all done wrong. And we need to confess our sin. And we need, by faith, to come into relationship and to follow Christ. And we, as believers, can celebrate all that we have in Christ. Amen? Amen. We can. Because He has brought us out of darkness into light. And we're going to sing one final song to celebrate that. I just want to pray just before we get to that. So let's pray together. Father God, I want to pray today. If there's anyone in this room who is not following you, who has not repented of their sin, who has not put their faith and trust in you, that Father, by the Holy Spirit, that you will speak to them today. Father, I pray that you will reach out to them, that they will realise that they are a sinner and they need a saviour. But more than that, they'll know that actually Jesus, that's what you came for, it's what you came to do. And you completed it and it's as effective today as it has been in the past and will be in the future. So Father, if there's anyone today, I pray that they will begin to follow you from today. They will repent of their sin and turn to you. And Father, for the rest of us who are all following you, God, we want to thank you that you have brought us out of darkness into your light. We thank you, Jesus, so much. May we never forget the wounds of the cross. May we never forget what it is finished meant 
for Jesus, that he completed everything that he set out to do for our benefit by his grace. We're grateful to God.